So we've been on a bit of a series. Um, I started off the series by a series name would more than likely be the church Jesus is building, and this is, will be the lo- third preach uh, in, uh, in a sort of a series on that. And so I want to just speak into a bit more about that, what I believe Jesus is wanting to do in and through us, not only as, uh, as, um, as Oceanside, but through the church that he is building. And so um, one of the things, if you look at our vision statement, is very easy. It's to know Jesus, and we'll speak about that a little bit more, and to make him known. But other, over and above that, our mandate, in, in other words, to facilitate that is we want to be a gathering, healing, training, and sending church. So if you bear that in mind, we'll go, get to that a bit f- uh, uh, further on in the preach. Just in this recap, I just want to recap a th- few things that we looked at. And we looked at uh, Luke chapter 3 and 4, and we saw the account of Jesus uh, and the beginning of his public ministry. In Luke 3, 21, 22, Jesus is baptized in the River Jordan. And as he comes out the water, the Holy Spirit comes upon him. He was 30 years old. He had been waiting for um, his time to come. He gets baptized, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him. And in then the next chapter, Luke 4, uh, verse uh, 1 to 2, we see Jesus, now full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. First and foremost, I want to say that we are spiritual people. We are people that, who are born again, have the indwelling spirit, and we believe in the power of the spirit working in and through us. And it's the anointing that comes upon us that breaks yokes and sets people free. So as we preach on this being a, in particular, ascending church, we do not go in our own strength or in our own ability. We, we go like Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. uh, During that time in the wilderness, he was tempted um, by the devil. He ate nothing for those days, and at the end of the time, he was hungry. And then it says this in verse 14 to 17. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. So Jesus is baptized in water. He comes out of the water. As he comes out, the Holy Spirit uh, who is in him, because he is God, uh, came upon him, the Holy Spirit led him, uh, and the Holy Spirit empowered him. And the reason this happened uh, in Jesus' life, because on earth, although he was fully God, he operated as fully man. And as a result, he relied totally on the power of the Holy Spirit for his ministry just like we do. And that's why he could say in the Bible that we could do even greater things than he did. It's important we'll talk about, um, more about the Holy Spirit as we go on in the series and the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives and in the church. But he, he goes and he returns to Galilee, verse 14 to 7, in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. He was teaching in the synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, and he stood up to read. 
And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him, and unrolling it, he found the place where it was written. And I'm going to read it in, uh, in the words of Isaiah, and then we'll look at Jesus' idea. But he, he goes to what we would now say, Isaiah 6, 61. Uh, in, in, in the scrolls, there were no chapters, there were no verses, it was just one big scroll. And, um, but this is where we'll find it in our Bibles. And this is what he says. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because he has anointed me. He's anointed me for a purpose, and that is to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes." The oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And they will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord to display his splendor. And see, church, in this, Jesus established the mandate and the call of the church, not only for himself but for you and I and the body of, as the body of Christ. In Acts 17, 26 to 27, Paul speaking in Athens says this. We've heard this, that God determines the, act, the exact time and place that we should live. We are not here in Nanaimo by accident. You might think that, and maybe circumstances drawing us here, but he, in his word of God, determines where we should live. And as the body of Christ, he determines where we should live for a reason and for a purpose. Not just to um, uh, have a wonderful life and enjoy the place and, and, and all of those amazing things. And this is what he says to, as he's on Mars Hill in Athens, he's given a, 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 an account of the gospel. He, he has identified the un, unknown God uh, which, is, which they had a, a, a statue to, and he begins to explaining who that is. And this is what he says in verse 26. From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact place they should live. Isn't that amazing? That's absolutely incredible. Can I get an amen? Hey, wow. <laughs> and God did this so that he had a reason and a purpose for everything he did. So that through you and I, who he determined would be here, he determined before the foundation of the earth, he knew that this church would be here. He knew that we, he would send us here from around the world and many tribes and tongues in here, many people, for this purpose. And this is it. So that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far away from any one of us, saved or unsaved. I love that word, perhaps, because it's not our responsibility to get people saved. How many of you were able to save yourself? So stop trying to save everybody else. 
It's our responsibility to share of the love of Christ and create an atmosphere through our words and deeds in preaching the gospel at the same time where the Holy Spirit, the seed of God, the eternal, the eternal seed can be placed in their hearts and take root and perhaps get saved. God is a God of free will. God gave us free will. And many more people, well, why would God give us a choice? And I tell you this one thing, for me, the reason is this, is that free will is the ultimate expression of love. When I married my wife, I didn't put a gun to her head and said, will you marry me? I would be in jail by now and I wouldn't be in the Nomo, so. Or when we were married, I didn't make her follow me and so on. What would we call somebody that does that to somebody? We would call that abuse. And so God gives us a choose, a choice to choose him or not. And he wants every person on this planet to be able to be given the choice to whether receive him or not. And that's where we come into this divine partnership with God. We also looked at Acts 10, 34 to 38. This is an amazing passage too. It's uh, the birth of the Gentile church. The reason we are here today is because Peter, through a vision, for the first time, went through the threshold of a Gentile's house. You have no idea what a big deal that was to a religious Jew. It meant that because he did that, he would no longer be welcomed back into the community, the religious community came from. But through a supernatural events and visions and dreams, not only for him but for Cornelius, he goes into uh, Cornelius' house and he crosses the threshold for the first time in his life. And while speaking, he finally comes to the real realization that the gospel is not only for Jews but for all nations. For every tribe and tongue, even though Jesus had spoken of this many times, he finally got what Jesus was speaking about. He's a slow learner, like me. (laughs) Sometimes I have to hear it again and again and again, and that's like preaching. I'm at the place now when, when we begin to see the fruit of what we're preaching on, that will be a time to move on, because the words can get lost uh, in the busyness of life. And we know that he had heard this again and again, but it had not taken root in his heart and in his mind. Peter says, wow, I now get it. I now get it. And in Matthew 24, we see Jesus speaking to the disciples about the end times. And he says this, that this gospel of the kingdom... That's an amazing thing. Gospel of the kingdom is a little bit different to sometimes the gospel we, we have because the gospel of the kingdom is about the king and his kingdom and how we can line up with him and not how he, the king, can line up with us. And so he says the gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations as a testimony to all nations and then... The end will come. How do we know when the end will come? 
when the gospel of the kingdom has gone to every tribe and tribe and nation. And I believe it's not only through internet and through all of this, but through personal witness of people into those areas. And we are getting closer to that. But God is so committed to see as many people come into the kingdom that he will even hold back the return of Jesus. Often we're spending time, when's it coming, what's the signs of the time, and we need to, uh, I have no problem with, we need to rightly divine the word of truth, and the book of Revelation is extremely important. But how much time is taken up trying to find the time and the date instead of reaching out and in our own way accelerating the kingdom of God coming on earth? How many of you would love to see the kingdom of God come? Amen, a few of you. The rest of you, if you want to give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ, this is a good time to do it. In Acts 1.8, just before this, and we're going to look at Acts 1.68, they are asking Jesus, he's just about to ascend into heaven. He's like on the launching pad. And he's there, and this is well, his last conversation with the disciples. And he's there, and he, they're asking, so Lord, are you going to come? When are you going to restore the kingdom of Israel? They're still thinking it's just about Israel. And Jesus says this to him. He gathered around, they gathered around him as he called him to himself. And he says this, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to him, it's not for you to know the time of dates. The father has set by his own authority of his return. We can have an opinion on it and we can read it up and so on. But while we are so wrapped up in the time of dates, people are not hearing the gospel often. And the amazing thing about this for me is Peter and Paul uh, and the disciples felt that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime because Jesus said he's coming back soon. The problem with soon to a timeless God is what is it? In the context of eternity, what is 2,000 years? It's, not, it's a blink. But the, the interesting thing that we have lost as the church is he, they had an urgency about them and urgent. He's going to come like a thief in the night. It's just going to happen. And there's an urgency. And if Jesus is coming soon, we are 2,000 years closer than what they were. So the sooner is sooner. But there's an urgency. And that Matthew 25, it says, God said, I want the gospel to go to every nation. So that they can have an opportunity, including the nations that God brings to us in Nanaimo. The gentleman there uh, from India, uh, I met him on a walk. He's uh, visiting his family. We had a little bit of a conversation. There he is. Um, He speaks Hindi and I can't, so uh, his English is reasonably good. And uh, we had this amazing chat. I've decided that I'm going to start chatting to people. And I've done it twice this week, and it was awesome. This man sitting here today, there was, thank you. 
And he's going to go back to India. And before that, I hope we can spend some more time together. Just amazing. I invite, he came here and I was just so happy to see him. You see, we don't need to know the times and the dates. But you will receive power. He says, stop, stop focusing on time and date, but focus on that. I want to anoint you with power. I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, just as Luke 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, this is what you're going to, you have to do. What you're called to do is what Jesus said in Luke chapter 4. And you will be my witness in Jerusalem and in Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And after all this, Peter, understanding this, he finally gets it. And he says this in Acts 10, 34 to 38, as he had gone through into Camellius' household. I now finally realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism. He accepts every nation, uh, uh, from every nation, the ones who fear him and, and does what is right. You know the message how God, Jesus, uh, how God sent uh, the, the people of Israel announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. You know what has happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee and after the baptism of John, the John priest. That's what we were talking about earlier. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. I love this part how he went about doing good. If you ever go to Australia, and I go, I be, go there on a regular basis, I, I love the people over there, and they talk about going on a walkabout. It's just, what does that mean? Ah, just walk about and see what happens, kind of thing. But he went about, walked about, doing good, and healing all who are under press of the devil. God wants us to do some walkabouts. God wants us to get out of our, the four walls of this building and let people know of the love of Jesus for them. So today my intention, in case you are really listen well, and so this is for the ones that listened and remember this, the last week I said I was going to speak on the inconvenient call of God. And uh, I felt in God while I was in my study yesterday that God wanted me to remind us of a few things. Number one, that God has given us a mandate. And a mandate is not something what we do, but it is who we are. We don't go on mission. We are the mission wherever we go. Wherever we go as as shining lights, we bring light, freedom, and liberty wherever we go. So whenever we walk out the door, every day, we are on mission. Christianity was never meant to be an event. 
This is the huddle where we come together to be trained and equipped. But when you walk out that door, you are going into a mission field. And that mission field might be McDonald's. That mission field might be Starbucks. It might be the council, the city. But God has placed you there time and space so that through you, men might perhaps reach out and find him. We are on mission every day. And one of the sad things about me, I've just been in New Zealand and I met this incredible man. He's a dreadlocks down here, tattoos all over, saying just radically saved by the power of God. He wants to save everything. If you stopped at a lamppost, too long he'll try and save that. Joking. But incredible, passionate guy. And he impacted me because that's how... I got saved. When I, I, I didn't come get, get saved easy. I got saved maybe kicking and screaming, if you want to say. And let me tell you, as an unsaved person, I enjoyed my life. Not everybody out there's life sucks. But what got me was the transformation in my wife's life. It was a two-year process. I could not argue with the fact that she had something I didn't have. And when I got saved, because I'm an all or nothing guy, I knew that it would be all or nothing. That's one of the reasons I didn't want to get saved for a while, even while I knew I should by that time. And we would go out on the streets, go out in the downtown. We would do all of that stuff. We would, we loved it, sharing the gospel and friends that got saved with us wherever we went. And it was an amazing time. But somehow, after time, I got sucked into the vortex of community. And community is good, but it's community on mission. On mission. And I began to realize after speaking to Jazz, and he's going to come here and rock your socks off. I'm going to bring him from New Zealand. And uh, and in, and in speaking to that, I realized that I has found my identity, was finding it more in community than on mission with Jesus Christ. We do community so well. How many of you know that? And it is a good, good thing. It's an amazing thing. People come in here, they loved, they cared for. And I tell you, if you go to an NCMI-relating church, which we are, New Covenant Ministries International, you will find this culture like this anywhere in the world. It will be like Oceanside. It just is how um, we've been taught to build uh, churches through the apostolic oversight that we were under in the 80s. It's like this all over you go. But when, when we find all our fulfillment in community, then evangelism gets put on the side because we feel good. We've been here today. It's been amazing. The worship's amazing, all of this. And God says, I want you to have all of this. I want you to gather together. Hebrews 10 says, don't neglect the gathering of the saints. I want you to do that, but I want you to do it for a purpose, and that is to go into your tailor-made mission field. The mission's Overworld are extremely important, and we've got a uh, um, a um, 
an orphanage in the Congo that through the grace of some of the people in this church um, was started and and I'm going to be in Haiti in January and, and places. I love those contexts. But I need to be missional here. The majority of us will not go out there, but all of us are called to be missionaries. And so that's where I feel God is reminding us of that. I also felt this. To stop asking why God should use me. Those disciples, some of them seem to be scallywags quite a few times. Peter. Jesus had so much grace and faith for Peter and restored him in such an incredible life. Imagine, he was in a courtyard about this size. He was by a fire. Jesus is the other side and, and, and being challenged. And Peter's here and they say, aren't you one of his? No, 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 three times. And he looks up and there's Jesus there and he realizes what he's done. He runs out of that door. He decides, I've had it. I'm not going to do this anymore. I've lost it. He goes back fishing. And because he's a leader, I don't believe he was going back fishing for just one time. I thought, I'm going just back to what I know. I've had it. And as a leader, he took half the disciples with him. And Jesus goes and finds him on a beach. I can't imagine the pain and the anguish that Peter had gone through. Denying Christ to his physical face. And Jesus, instead of saying, what the heck was that all about? He just says this to him. Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? And Peter says, yeah, Lord, of course I do. Asked him three times. And he restores him. And I believe that breakfast on that beach was the turning point in Peter's life that stood him in well stead his whole life. Maybe he walked with a limp, but God restored him. Can you imagine Paul pursuing Christians to kill them? Giving approval to the death of Stephen with Stephen's cloak at his feet on his way to Damascus. And God gets hold of him. And to his true son in the faith, Timothy, he says this, I was a violent man and I do not even deserve to be who I am today. But because of his grace, I am what I am. And because of the grace and mercy he showed me, I want to work harder than anybody else for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Where did he get that revelation of grace that we walk in today? Yes, he had some downloads from heaven over his life for sure, but it was on that road to Damascus. I can't imagine. You see, these were normal human beings. I can't imagine how often the enemy would have tried to trash talk Peter, to trash talk Paul. Who the heck do you think you are? Many people have guesses about the thorn in Paul's flesh, and it could have been physical, whatever, but maybe it was dealing with condemnation. 
the cues of the brethren. I don't know. But he said, I press on now to take hold of that which Christ has taken hold of me for. Says that in Philippians. Why not? Where have you got that scripture there? I took the scripture out this morning because that's my editing time because there's quite a lot that are in my preach. And uh, so I wake up, doesn't matter, five, four on a Sunday and I got all these notes and I got to put it into it, nothing more than a two-hour preach. <laughs> and so in the scriptures, I, I, I took this one out. But the amazing thing is I walk into the prayer meeting and Wes reads the scripture. So I felt that maybe God wanted us to hear it. Uh, it's 1 Corinthians 1, 26. It just says, Brothers, uh, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Mm. Not many of you were of noble birth, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Mm. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let no one boast except in the Lord. Fantastic. Fantastic. God chooses us. This is not many were wise. Not many were that. It doesn't mean that some of them weren't, because God will work through everybody. But he's speaking to the ones in that church that felt what can they do? What can they bring? And all he wanted them to do is, he was encouraging them to, is to reflect the love of Jesus through their lives. We see this another man, a man called Gideon, hiding in a winepress, afraid. And God says, that's my man. That's my man. And in Judges 6, 15 to 16, Gideon responds to the supernatural visitation where God has told him through the angel that he wants to use him to deliver the nation. And this is Gideon's response, even after supernatural angelic visitation. So don't worry if you doubt just because you you. But this guy doubted after having an angel stand for him and tell him what God said. And this is what condemnation does. But Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my family. David was the least in his family. When the prophet came to anoint the next king, his father didn't even think of putting a servant with a sheep. He said, David, you stay out there. I don't think it's you. And he was obedient to that. 
And Samuel goes through the whole line of brothers. And he gets to the end and he says to Jesse, is there another son? Um, oh yeah, oh yeah, there's David. Whatever. Hey, well, one of you goes and fetch him. And this is what God says of David. Not perfect, but I found in David a man after my own heart. And because that, he will do whatever I ask him to do. He knew that David was the one, and nobody else did. So you can be thinking, I'm the least of the least. I come from this, I come from that. That is trash talk from the enemy. You've got to speak to those bones. You've got to speak and prophesy. That is not who you are in Christ. And we all deal with that at some stage. And this is the Lord's answer to Gideon saying, hey, I'm just the least of the least, even in my family, in my clan's the least of the least. I'm the guys that I'm living right on the outskirts of nowhere, one door away from Tent City. That's who I am. And this is how the grace of God responds. He doesn't say, what the heck, Gideon? I've come to you, okay, you're done. You go and see how he worked with Gideon. (laughs) Word of God says, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. He does not treat us, Psalm 103, as our sins deserve, but separates us as far as the east is from the west. In one of the Psalms, it might be one. 100, uh, 103, 2, and he, says, and he says, I choose to remember your son no more, your sin no more. So what does that mean? Does God got a bad memory? No, in his sovereignty, when we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all righteousness. And he puts in a place where he never looks at it again because he looks at us through Jesus Christ. And we keep, because the enemy trash talks us, reminding God of the sin God's already forgiven. Oh, no, not again. I forgave that five years ago. Okay, my son, I'm slow to anger. I love you. Yes, I do. We get back on track. And this is what the enemy wants to do with you. And this is what the enemy wants to do with the church. The enemy is not afraid of a few hundred people worshiping God and hearing a sermon in four walls of a church. If this is where we stay. And when we decide to step out that door with all our stuff and all of that and begin to walk in the call of God in our lives, he's going to come and trash talk. He's going to, you watch basketball, some of those older players, the new players just don't know what's happening anymore. He's going to do that and you're going to say, oh, I'll come here, it's so safe here. God says, I am with you. I've called you. I've anointed. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon you. And you need to submit to God, humble yourselves, and, and as you do that, after you've suffered and gone through a little, God will, the enemy will flee. 
I love this. I will be with you, and we will strike down all the Midianites together. Wow. Church, we've been called to a divine partnership where God is not looking at our ability, but our obedience and our availability. And I felt God say this, that we should not underestimate the power of acts of kindness done in the name of Jesus. We should not underestimate the cup of water, the, the, the talk, the chat on the road, the, the, the encouragement done in the name of Jesus. We do not preach a social gospel that just feeds people and does not tell them of Jesus Christ. But we do both because the one helps soften the heart for the other. Let me go on because of about halfway. You see, acts of kindness help us build bridges. In order to connect the church with the community. And here's the big disconnect. We should not confuse prominence as a growing church with significance. Please go through this afterwards and if you need to chat it through because there are many multi-mega churches having no impact, unfortunately. And I go to churches. We like to go to the new churches, to the people that need encouragement and all of it. Some of them, 30, 40, 50, 60 people. I was in a Hispanic church in L.A., and when they told me the 60 people with very little finance, what they were doing in the community, it undid me. Impact. And they say, oh, we're only a small church. We're only a... What the heck? But as we grow, we can think prominence makes us significant. Does that make sense? But as we grow and we do this, then we can be more significant. All right. Is anybody there? You see, we need to be careful the way we measure the success of a church. Do we measure it by numbers or by impact? Because the way we measure the church will determine the way we build the church. Good? And so, our vision statement we started with is not only to know Jesus, but also to make him known. And what does that mean? We can't make the Jesus we don't know known. So it's important that we get to know Jesus that we read his word, that we pray, that we get equipped and trained, that we begin this personal relationship with Jesus because we can't tell people something that we don't know. I knew, and I'll just use the Sedins. I know the Sedins. How many of you know who they are? Okay, but do you know them? Do you know what they like, so? What they like to do? All of these kind of things. Do you know what makes them tick? Do you know about... No, we don't. There's not one person on this pleasant planet that does not know Jesus. But we need to know 
Jesus in a way, in our knowers, in such a way that it comes out of us and that's what we make known to others, what we have. And it's a journey. And you can know Jesus one day and that's enough to help somebody else. But it's an ongoing journey of getting to know Jesus more, falling more in love with him, and then simply just letting it ooze out. Simply that we we become not like dams with a big wall, but we become leaky Christians. That it just becomes to come out of us. And to achieve this man, this, no Jesus, we are called to be a gathering church, number one. We are called, we believe by God, and this was given to us in the, in the early, ni- in the mid, when did we arrive here? In the mid-90s. This is what God said, I want you to be a gathering church. What does that mean? We gather in. Christians, we gather in the lost, we gather in people that have maybe lost their way a little bit. We gather them and we create a community where they can be healed physically, emotionally, spiritually. That there will be a, a healing. And I tell you, that's one of the things. I meet with people and some of this, this church has done so much for us in the process of just healing. And then we want to train people. We want to get them equipped, give them some tools. And we have a school of the Bible but, and so on. We have connect groups. But then, and we do that all very, how many of you would say that we do gathering, healing, training, sending well? Uh, tr- gathering, healing, what's the next one? Sorry? There we are. I'm just testing you. Training. How many of you say we do that pretty well? How many of you feel that we could maybe do a little upgrade in the sending part? Knowing that our sending is not around the world, and it could be, but our mission field where we live. You see, without the sending part, without going to our neighbors and the nations, we have very, will have very little impact on our city, our nation, let alone the nations of the world. In scriptures like Romans 10, 14 to 16, and these are one of the scriptures to me, like Psalm 133, where it seems like God is speaking to God. We've got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And the, Psalm 133, it's then speaking to each other about the unity. Behold our good and the pleasant it is. But in here, I feel, when I read this, and we see the heart of God, that this is a cry of God. Number one, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes, the nation, the, the nations, we've seen that. And then he says this, how then can they call on the one they have not believed in? God speaking to God. I feel. I don't have a theology for that, but I feel that. And how can they believe in the one in whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? 
This is God looking at the multitudes. And he says this as he goes on. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Pleases God. And I truly love the fact that we have connect groups all over the city. And that we have a school of the Bible. And connect groups are like lighthouses all over the city. God has placed them. How many are there in the church with ladies? Over over 20. 20 places in the city we have got a little lighthouse. And in those connects groups, as it should be, a lot of gathering and healing takes place. It needs to be like that. And in the Bible school and the connect groups, a lot of training occurs. But what I would love to see is in the connect groups and the ladies groups and every group we have, that there is an influence around that area. That people will know through love, good deeds, through going about doing good, that we care. The sending part needs to ramp up in our connect groups. Few ideas. We had a guy in, his, in our church many years, Joel Wiggers. I love the guy. And he came to me, and they had a, a house in, in not a really good area. But three houses away, there was a house that really was not in good condition. And she said, do you know what Joel came and said to me? He said, Mike, do you think um, you would mind if we go and ask him if we could? He, he's the most gifted builder, artist that I've ever met. Do you think we as a group could ask him if we could fix up the house a bit? I said, are you kidding me? Can I clone you? They went there. I don't know, there was quite a big home group, 15, 20 people. Sorted out the lawns, fixed the fence, painted the house. I mean, and you know what happened in that community? People wanted to know why. People wanted to know why they would do that. So there's things like that, practical things, creative things, art things, whatever it is. But start thinking that way. You see, someone said this. If the world is not our parish, then our parish becomes our world. And in the Gospels, we see Jesus frame his ministry. If we look at his ministry and we really study it on two words. To come to me and to go. That was how he framed his ministry. Isaiah 51, speaking of the coming Messiah, 1 to 5, says this. We see the invitation to come. And we see this here. It says, come all who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You have no money. Come and buy and eat. Come and buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend your money on that which is not bread? Or your labor on that which does not satisfy? Listen. Listen to me. This is a very listen, listen. 
and eat what is good, and you will delight in the riches of fear. Get ear and come to me, and listen so that you may hear. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promise uh, promise to David. David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler, a commander over people. Surely you will summon nations you do not know. The other amazing thing about the nations, like my, my brother here from India, we can share with them without ever having to go to India. We can go to the schools. We can go to the... And we, every nation, every nation, not that we shouldn't go to those countries, but God is bringing them to us. And because of the Lord of the God, the Holy One of Israel, for He has endowed you with splendor. And in the final chapter, this is amazing, book of Revelation is closing up the written word of God. This is it. And this is what it says in 22.17. Speaking of what what Isaiah had prophesied. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. And if that's you today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I want to tell you that He loves you and He loves you. If you have taken a wrong turn, God is calling you home too. Many of us haven't taken a wrong turn physically, but emotionally have. I've done that even leading a church. Checked out. God is calling you back to the waters. Come and drink. And if you want to know more about Jesus Christ, please come and see us after you. We can get together and why we serve him like this. But it's time to come to the waters to drink. It's time for refreshing to come into our lives. It's time that we get away of the blah, blah, blah. And we get to the yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm nearly finished. Are you okay with this? You see, there's the come to me. And in scriptures like Matthew 9, 35 to 38, we see the heart of God calling us to go, the ones who have come. And we see this in verse 35. When Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the workers are few. And he didn't say this, pray for the harvest. Pray for the lost church. Do your pray for the lost for the week and then We've done that last thing. He says, pray for harvesters. Pray for workers. They will go into the harvest field and preach the gospel. 
You see, I've looked at this and I thought I'd look at it again yesterday. I never see once Jesus telling anybody to come to church. But continually telling the church to go to the people. Lord, bring in the lost, bring in the lost. And you know the privilege is that he does bring in the lost. He's gracious, he does. But we are the ones that he has partnered with like Gideon. He says, don't worry, Mike. Don't worry, Gideon. Don't worry, Joe. We will do this together. Just start reaching out. And this is what we do. We share the love of God both in word and deed. Understanding that good deeds cannot save a person, but they can soften a hardened heart. And in order to be effective and in order to make an impact, we cannot have the one without the other. We can love our neighbors, excuse the word, to hell. If we don't, at some time, get to a stage where we start sharing. And the best way to share is share on the love of Jesus. Share on what he did for us. Share on what he's done in your life. I was lost, but now I'm found. I started like this, and I found Jesus. And Jesus found me. And start adding that in. And the guys will say, okay, whatever. You've planted a seed. Somebody else will come along. In 1 Corinthians 3, says someone... Someone, uh, Paulus will come and water the seed I planted, Paul said, but God will make it grow. You see, this is the deal. The ones who have come, that's one half, have also been the ones who will go. And that's how this works. In Luke 7, 34, there's so much, please go over this if it's impacting your life because otherwise you'll have to hear me preach it and preach it over and over again. In Luke 7, 34, this is amazing, amazing little scripture. Jesus was accused by religion that he was a friend of sinners. Religious people of the day because he hung out with drunkards and wine bibbers. The best compliment they could have ever given Jesus to Jesus was, yeah, I'm a friend of sinners. That's why I came. That's why I came. And yet, here's the key. He never compromised. We can be so friendly with sinners that they don't know the difference. He never compromised. Did he have a glass of wine? He did. And that's, Jesus turned water into wine, and religious has tr- spent 2,000 years trying to make the wine back into water. He never compromised. He was without sin. He could sit there with a glass of wine, chilling with his mates, speaking the truth. And can I say this? Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit with alcohol or with anything like that because there's a very big chat that God has to people that stumble people. 
And so how do you know this? How do you know this? You go somewhere and you just feel, I'm not going to drink here. Oh, whatever, God doesn't mind. So Holy Spirit, maybe somebody there with a drinking problem sees that. And that's an excuse for them to go overboard. And so we go from, okay, no drinking to, hey, let's all get drunk. It's in the middle where Jesus was. The radical middle, I like to call it. The radical middle. He was without sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And yet he was known as a friend of sinners. He wasn't a stranger. He wasn't a passerby. He wasn't a colleague or an acquaintance. He was their friend. He loved hanging with them. And they knew that he cared. And that he was a man of compassion, even though he spoke some very hard words. Even though he didn't compromise in his lifestyle. Even though he said, there's no other way to heaven except through me. Hard things to say. But he never compromised. But people who heard him knew that he cared. Knew that he loved them. Knew that. And they could receive the weight of what he was saying. Without compromising once. If Jesus had compromised once, we would not be here today. You see, the sinners flocked to Jesus and the religious ran away. Religion in the story of the Good Samaritan walked past priest and a Levite. Religion in walked past a man on the road. This is my inconvenient call introduction. Too busy. I've done that. We've all done it. It's not a living conversation. But a Samaritan. And Jesus was in answer to the question, who is my neighbor? At a religious person. Religion walked right past them. I'm too busy. I'm going to worship God. I'm too busy. I've got to go to the temple. I'm too busy. I've got to go to Jerusalem. And this other guy says, And Jesus says, it's not one or the other, it's both. Do you hear that? You see, the word of God says this, the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. And he did this through authentic uh, friendship, which upped in a way to share the good news of the gospel. And this is what Paul said about the gospel. Because without the gospel, we are no different than the Rotary Club, if we've just become a good, deep person. This is what he said. Sorry? Ah, thank you. This is Paul. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God unto salvation. There's no other way through which men can be saved. Jesus said that. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. To everyone who believes, first the Jew and then the Gentile. For in the gospel, gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it was written, the righteous will live by faith. Can we bow our heads? Thank you for being so patient. I unloaded a whole lot of stuff. 
And I ask you, please, if, to consider even the home groups, to go through this stuff in, and pray about it. I ask you as individuals, I ask you to believe that God does this with you together. And Father God, I thank you. I thank you for your mercy and your grace that you saved us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you, Jesus, that you love and care for us, that you gave your life so that we could live. But Lord, I pray, Lord God, that we'll see who we are in Christ. That the same spirit that rose you from the dead, the same spirit that anointed Jesus of Nazareth to bind our broken hearts, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, to reach out and become friends of the friendless ones. I pray, Lord God, that you'll give us creative ways. And Lord, I pray that there will be no condemnation in this place because that is from hell itself. I pray that maybe a conviction of the Holy Spirit will begin to grow in all of us. And I pray too, Lord Jesus, that you will give us creative ways, creative ideas on how we can reach out to our neighbor and the nations. We thank you for that in the precious name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. Amen. There we are.